This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. And whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you've just joined us for the first time, a huge welcome. Thank you for uh, joining the Equity Mates community and congrats on starting your investing journey. If you feel like you need to get up to speed with the basics, check out our Get Started Investing podcast. With that said, my name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We are breaking down a company that has influenced all of our lives and that most of us in one way or another give money to, or at least give our eyeballs that they get advertising revenue from. A lot of attention. And we're doing it thanks to Early. That's right, Ren. Early has uh, an active investment style that uh, aims to deliver attractive long-term capital growth. And we're fortunate enough to have had the founder, John Sevior. Uh, We had him in the studio last year. And also one of their portfolio managers, Emma Fisher, has joined us a couple of times on the show, both two awesome investors. And we're lucky to have another portfolio manager in the studio today, Will Granger, to help us unpack uh, News Corp. They've, uh, Will is a portfolio manager for the newly launched Early Small Companies Fund. Uh, they're investing in 20 to 40 stocks that they consider to be high quality businesses uh, in the small cap space or small company space. So, mm. um, and, yeah. and News Corp is one of those businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're going to spend the first half of this episode uh, giving a bit of a primer on the company, News Corp, what it does. And then Will's going to join us in the studio to talk about the investment side, the bull case, the bear case, and what the company's trying to be long term. So for information on the small companies fund, we'll provide a link in the show notes. Uh, you can go to the earlyfundsmanagement.com.au website. And a reminder that while we are licensed, we are not aware of your personal circumstances. So any information is general and is for entertainment and education purposes. But Ren, with that said, News Corp. News Corp. So Rupert Murdoch's uh, baby, 
mm. that he had to split in two in, what, 2011, 2012 with the News of the World hacking scandal. Yeah. For people unfamiliar, News Corp is a media conglomerate with major divisions in newspaper publishing, book publishing, digital real estate services and subscription video services. The company comprises some of the world's most recognisable and respected brands, including the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, The Sun, The Australian, HarperCollins Publisher, realestate.com.au, realtor.com and Foxtel. Some big names in there. Most people in Australia would also probably be familiar with KO, Mm -hmm. with Binge, Mm -hmm. the streaming service, with the Daily Telegraph, your morning newspaper. Not, haven't read a word in it. Ever? No, hate it. Wow, that's strong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they don't even think about you. That's fine. (laughs) No qualms with that. So News Corp is a media giant and it's got massive news businesses in the US, the UK and Australia. But when we look at it from an investing point of view, the newspapers or all but one of the newspapers don't really matter. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's have a bit of a a walk down memory lane though, Renan, and look at the history because it's a pretty fascinating journey and one that, you know, is it's pretty amazing to see what what Rupert has actually built, um, established in 1980. The the News Corp. News Corp, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it all started back in 1952 when Rupert inherited an Adelaide afternoon tabloid called The News. I think his dad was running it at at, at the time. Mm. And um, that was the beginning of the the empire. In 1964, Rupert uh, first publishes The Australian. In 69, he expands to the UK with uh, The News of the World. Uh, followed closely by The Sun. Uh, In 73, he expands to the USA by purchasing the San Antonio Express and News. And then in 1976, purchases New York Post. So in 20 years, he's gone from Australia through the UK into the US. Yeah. In the 80s, he uh, buys the Times and the Sunday Times in the UK. And in the mid 80s, he moves into movies and TVs in a big way. Mm. 1985 buys 20th Century Fox and also buys Metro Media television stations with and launches Fox Broadcasting Company. Uh, 1987 acquires Harper and Rowe and in 1989 acquires William Collins' sons, merges them together and makes the book publisher Harper Collins. Uh, 1989, late Late 80s, early 90s is when he really he pushes bang. hard into cable yeah. TV. Yeah. Uh, launches Sky TV in 1989 in the UK. Launches Foxtel as a joint venture with Telstra in 95. 96 launches Fox News and American politics is never the same. This is my favourite part of the Rupert Murdoch story. In 2005, he buys MySpace for $580 million. Tom from MySpace is now living his best life. Yeah. If you don't follow no, him on Instagram, you should. $580 million in 2005. In 2011, News Corp sell MySpace to Justin Timberlake for $35 million. That's about a 95% if my uh, math's off the top of my head. 95% fall. Unbelievable. I don't think he still owns it. Justin Timberlake? Yeah. Who owns it? I don't know. I think I thought he sold it. I can't remember what I can't remember who or where, but uh, I'm 
yeah, fact check me on that. But. I'm actually just seeing if the website still exists. It's it's such a music website now. <laughs> uh, the you go to it and the to- the headline is Red Hot Chili Peppers Nine Inch Nails Slipknot and Kiss to headline louder than life lineup. <laughs> There you go. Anyway, anyway, completely unrelated yeah, to what we're doing. So, here. <laughs> um, in 2007, uh, Rupert buys the Dow Jones and Company, which uh, owned the Wall Street Journal. 2011 new, the, was the news of the world scandal. Do you remember what happened there? Yeah, they were phone tapping. Yeah, yeah, it's massive, um, which forced the demerger of Fox Corp and News Corp. And then in 2019, most of Fox Corp's entertainment assets in a massive deal was sold to Disney. Yeah. It's a story of mergers and acquisitions, bolting on media. It's huge business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a very good media entrepreneur. Yes. This guy got yes. media. The Bryce Lesky of his day, some may say. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the history. Let's talk about what News Corp is today. And it is really a business of five segments. The first segment is its holding of realestate.com.au. It owns a majority stake. It also owns realtor.com in the US, which is not the biggest. Zillow, I think, is the biggest, but it's a real estate listing website. Subscription video services. So that's its um, streaming services and its cable offering. Uh, Foxtel still kicking along, but it's more KO and binge. And um, I think they have a... Off the top of my head, I can't remember if it's majority or minority, but they own a stake in B-Sky B, which was the mm. merger of the two UK cable providers. Dow Jones is its third segment, which publishes the Wall Street Journal, but also has a pretty meaningful uh, business to B2B data business. It sells like financial information. So that's three. Number four, book publishing with HarperCollins. And then number five, news media. And that's what a lot of us would think when we think of News Corp. Uh, that's the Australian, the Daily Telegraph, uh, the UK newspapers, uh, the Times and the Suns, the Sun, not just one, there's just one Sun. And then are there any more newspapers that I'm forgetting? Any of the big ones? Don't think so. Like the Herald Sun and stuff, but like no, nothing in the US. Mm. Yeah. Now, somewhat confusingly, they never reorganised the company and put the Wall Street Journal in with the other newspapers. Mm probably because it's the star it's, child. Yeah. Well, as we find out from Will, it's, it's light years in front of uh, its comp- competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's the five businesses. Now, the really interesting thing when we speak to Will, he doesn't really factor in the print newspapers in his thesis, mm. but they do bring in the most revenue. In the last financial year, they brought in $2.4 billion in revenue, which was the highest of those five segments. But they also brought in the smallest amount of profit, $217 million of EBITDA. And so that's really the story of the news business. It's the story of media. Yeah. Whereas uh, digital real estate services brought in the least amount of revenue, $1.7 billion. Being realestate.com and realtor.com. Yep. Yeah. A, their share of those businesses. Yeah. But it brought in the most amount of profit, $574 million in EBITDA. There you go. And so the story of News Corp is a story of a lot of assets, uh, some probably higher quality than others, I think it's fair to say. And when we speak to Will, he really highlights the three that are the most important uh, for Airly and for him. Digital real estate services, which is REA Group, Dow Jones, uh, which is the Wall Street Journal, 
and its B2B data business and book publishing, which is HarperCollins. I was surprised mm, that book mm, publishing was such a big of, thing yeah, because me too. A book publishing feels like an industry that is brutally tough and getting squeezed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, he mentions it in, in the second half of this, um, but uh, books are on a bit of a resurgence apparently. Yeah, that's why we've written another one. <laughs> yeah, whoa. <laughs> Stay tuned. So um, we should probably do a quick explainer around on the share structure because if you're Googling this and, and wanting to uh, invest, you might find that there are a number of ticker, stock tickers available. So firstly, you have the News Corp uh, listed on the ASX and the stock ticker is NWS. You also have uh, News Corp listed on the NASDAQ in two forms. One ticker is NWSA and the other is NWS. The difference here is really the class structure of the shares. So NWS in the US and here in Australia is class B and NWSA over on the NASDAQ in the US is class A. So the difference being that class A in the US doesn't have any voting rights, class B here in Australia does. And that's a way for the Murdoch family and the Murdoch family trust to own a smaller percentage of the total company but maintain Maintain control. uh, control. Yeah. Um, which is not uncommon. Google, Snap, a whole bunch of companies have mm. different classes of shares. Mm. Equity mates. Equity mates. Yeah. Um, so, but that's just something to keep in mind if you're getting confused about which news corp you want to buy. Uh, quick rundown on the financials and then let's get to Will. Uh, market cap of $11.2 billion, up 26% in the past year. Yeah, Not bad. Yeah. Uh, probably from all those KO price rises we keep I getting. <laughs> Gotta love KO though. And then uh, up 35% in the past five years, which is uh, about a 6% compound annual growth rate for the share price. So a bit slower than the market. Yeah. Uh, revenues of uh, $10.4 billion in FY22 and a profit of $623 million worth, noting that uh, four and five years ago, they're actually unprofitable. Mm. So um, they've been ab- able to get back into the green. And uh, a 6% profit margin, uh, the New York Times for comparison has a 7.6 and Sinclair has 73 so there's a bit of a rundown, a bit of a, a history of uh, how we got to how News Corp got to where they are today. Um, a big thank you to Early for for supporting this episode. We're going to now hear from um, portfolio manager of uh, the Early Small Companies Fund, Will Granger. He's going to take us through uh, what metrics matter when looking at News Corp, the bull case, the bear case, and then the long-term plans. And Ren has some uh, questions around succession uh, off the back. Had of, to ask. Had to ask. Had to <laughs> ask. So uh, if you're interested in finding out more about the Small Caps Fund, uh, the early Small Caps Fund, check out the, um, the links in the show notes. And uh, without further ado, here's our conversation with Will Granger. Well, Will, welcome to Equity Mates. Thanks for having me. Now we're talking News Corp. So the first uh, first place we want to start is how to analyze a company like News Corp. What are the metrics that matter and uh, and which ones don't when thinking about News Corp? Well, look, in hindsight, I, I probably haven't chosen the easiest uh, company for <laughs> us to look at. Um, as I'm sure you guys will be aware, it's, you know, News Corp isn't really just one business. It's really a collection of, you know, multiple businesses across the media landscape. Um, so they own, you know, 61% of REA. They own uh, Harper Collins, a, a book publishing business. They own Dow Jones, which owns the Wall Street Journal, variety of other newspapers, uh, 65% of Foxtel. So there's really, there's a lot to unpack 
in the business and they're really individual businesses that need sort of individual analysis. So we can sort of talk about the, the metrics for each separate business. Um, I even found out the other day they're in 70% of the Brisbane Broncos, which oh, yeah. right. I, I yeah, didn't yeah. even realize the Broncos yeah. were listed, but, yeah. but there you go. Yeah. Not, um, not being a star share market performer no. Broncos. Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been too bad, oh, but really? not amazing, <laughs> not amazing. But yeah, so I guess, um, you know, to, to simplify that complexity, there's really, you know, three key businesses that make up the lion's share of, of value for News Corp. Um, and that is uh, REA, their stake in REA, uh, Dow Jones and HarperCollins. So maybe to start, we'll, we'll focus on um, REA. Um, I'm sure your listeners are very familiar with REA Group. Um, you know, it's been one of the best performers on the ASX for the last, you know, 20 years. And it's just a, it's a, a property um, portal. They own the realestate.com website and app and our vendors list their properties on the site uh, and they advertise for either rent or for sale. REA make money by charging them for that listing and if you want to be higher up the uh, search results, the vendor has to pay more. And really when we're thinking about a business like this, um, sort of the key metric that we're thinking about is audience reach. At the end of the day, it's it's a marketing platform so it really matters you know, the amount of people that you're bringing to the, to the table. So we care a lot about audience reach and we care about how that audience reach then translates into sort of share of industry economics for the business. REA is the dominant player in the industry. It's got around 50% um, higher audience reach than Domain. So it's got around 12.7 million uh, unique average monthly users. And again, the more audience you bring to the table, the more you can charge for listings. So if you think about the actual revenue share in the industry, REA generates around three times the revenue of Domain. So it's got a 75% revenue share. But even more importantly, that actually translates to a larger share at the profit line. So REA captures 90% of industry profitability. Wow. Yeah. And, and profit's really important because at the end of the day, if you've got a higher- yes. <laughs> that, We love profit. That's the quote for the interview. That's my one insight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, profit. profit's really important because the larger your profit pool, the larger your margins, the more you can reinvest back into the business. So for REA, that's investing back in you know website and app development. It's investing more in marketing all of which then leads to more audience uh, and it's sort of a virtual uh, cycle of reinvestment that further entrenches their their competitive position. So, you know, it's a, it's a really uh, strong uh, and established uh, business model. If you think about it from the, from the user's perspective, it doesn't cost me anything to go on realestate.com. So for me to switch across, I need some sort of incentive and there's, there's no incentive if, um, you know, the product functionality, the app and, and website are, are basically equivalent, the, li- the listings are basically the same and I'm getting marketed to more by, by REA than I am by, by domain. So I've got no incentive to switch across so that these really sticky customer habits that are, that are really hard to disrupt if you're the number two player. Well, my partner and I are currently butting heads because she uses domain and I use yeah. REA. <laughs> I don't get people that use domain. I know, It just neither. feels inferior. I know, I know. Yeah. Big sticking point in our relationship. Yeah. So let's not uh, go down that rabbit hole. So yeah. REA is the, um, the, the first, I guess, and the uh, one of the bigger parts of the News Corp business now, but we can just invest in REA directly if if we want to. So sure. let's let's move to the uh, the other News Corp items. Yeah, most people think of it as a you know B two C produces media for people like us to buy, um, but a key part of its business is its B two B business, and that's Dow Jones. Yeah, yeah, Dow Jones. Um, it's a segment we're uh, very uh, bullish about. We think it's a, a really great business that's a little bit misunderstood by the 
by the market. There's been a tremendous amount of change that's happened in that business. So the, the key asset is really the Wall Street Journal in Dow Jones. So it's best to focus on that. And and if you think about what's happened in the newspaper industry over the last 20 years, it's gone under you know a lot of a lot of change. So newspapers make money in, in sort of two ways. They sell a subscription uh, to read the paper, and then they sell advertising in the paper. And if you flash back 20 years ago, you know the majority of revenue for newspapers used to come from advertising. They had these amazing little localized monopolies, extremely profitable businesses, plenty of great investors made, you know, a fortune investing in newspapers, people like Warren Buffett, you know, Rupert Murdoch used to call them rivers of gold. Uh, But with the advent of the internet, um, a lot of that advertising revenue shifted online to digital players like Facebook and Google. Um, I think newspaper ad revenue in the US peaked at around 80 billion in the early 2000s and it's declined by 80% over the next two decades. So it's been this huge disruption and this huge headwind for the industry. And in response to that, they've all had to pivot their model. They've had to transition away from the ad-reliant model to one that focuses on maximizing digital subscriptions. You know, so one of the metrics we like to look at when we're analyzing Dow Jones or analyzing the, the Wall Street Journal is, you know, what portion of revenue do they still generate from advertising, in particular print advertising, because that's been what's most what's been most affected. And that gives us a good sense for, you know, how far through the transition and model the newspaper is. So for the journal, that's around 13% of their revenue coming from print advertising. You know, that's a huge improvement considering that just 10 years ago, 40% of their revenue came from print advertising. If I compare that to some other players in the market, if I look at Nine's mastheads, they own uh, Sydney Morning Herald uh, and AFR. They generate around 20% of their revenue still from from print advertising. So they're a little bit behind in that transition. The gold standard that everyone points to is the New York Times, which is separately listed in the US. That business generates around 9% of its revenue from print advertising. So it's a little bit ahead of of the journal, but both of them are are pretty on par and and definitely the leaders in the market in terms of getting through that transition. And is your view that that's just going to go to zero? Over time, eventually it will probably go to zero. I mean, maybe not zero. I think people really like reading physical newspapers. Mm. I'm one of them. Um, Yeah, same. But now they're five bucks a paper. I don't like, if you don't have a subscription, it's it's too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one because everyone thought that, you know, Kindle would would end up taking over the world of book publishing and, and no one would read physical books, but there's been a bit of a sway back to, to physical there. Papers, the economics don't quite work out as well, so it's becoming really prohibitive. It's too expensive, as, as you're suggesting. So, I don't know, maybe it goes to zero, but it's certainly the riskiest bucket of, of revenue stream for those businesses. So you want to be careful because if you're buying you know, a business that's still got a, a lot of its chunk coming from print advertising, well, there's a chance that goes to zero and that's a big headwind. Harvey Norman's keeping them in business. The amount of print mm. advertising that company <laughs> does is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just unbelievable. The other thing we sort of think about is, is the competitive advantage, which really comes back to scale in newspapers. Um, and we think about scale in terms of you know, the level of digital subscribers and the, the potential for digital subscriber growth. So for the journal, it's really the world's most established uh, financial newspaper. It's got 3.3 million digital subscribers. That's three times that of its nearest competitor. And as with REA, scale affords, affords va- advantages. Um, you can invest more in your newsroom. Uh, you know, you can attract the best journalistic talent. Uh, you can spend, you know, extra money on the, the digital experience ensuring that that's, that's right. You just, you improve the product it in turn attracts more more audience and more subscribers and it's a it's again it's a sort of self-reinforcing cycle so we think it's got really good scale advantages importantly there's plenty of room for subscribers to grow management have estimated the addressable market at 12 million digital subscribers that's three times the current base so a huge runway there and it's interesting to think about the actual you know the customer cohorts for the journal it's again it's a business 
newspaper. So I think they're three largest customer cohorts that they give or sub- subscriber cohorts, I should say, are uh, financial advisors, uh, retirees, and people who work in finance. I don't know why they separate those two, <laughs> but, um, but they're the three largest cohorts. And if you think about that, you know, the journal's a really vital source of information. It's a really key uh, piece of information for their business. It's a core business expense. For the retirees, it probably shapes the way in which they manage their retirement savings, and it's, it's a tool for wealth creation for them. And that's a really different sort of subscriber, su- subscriber base versus something like, say, the New York Times, which I think is really, really beneficial and speaks to the sort of pricing power dynamic. Mm. I look at my own reliance on the AFR mm. um, in Australia and, and you know, I, I can't imagine unsubscribing from that. I really need it for work. So they've got a lot of pricing power. Mm. So I think that's really interesting to think about. You've got a not only just a really good long-term subscriber growth story, but also a good pricing power story there as well. The third big section of the business is HarperCollins. So how do you kind of look at that? Yeah, so HarperCollins, um, it's the world's second largest consumer book publisher. And, you know, when I think about the book publishing market, it's really, it's an oligopoly. There's five big players. So they're often called the, the big five. Um, you have uh, Penguin is the largest, HarperCollins, Simon & Schuster, Shea Livray and, uh, and Macmillan. And those big five compete with one another to acquire publishing rights from authors um, and they do that by offering advances, which are just big sort of lump sum payments. And, you know, as with Dow Jones and as with REA, scale is, again, you know, the really important factor that drives these businesses. For book publishing in particular, it's the scale of your backlist or your back catalogue, because that's sort of a really vital revenue pool from which you can then go and invest in new projects. If you think about book publishing, you know, only a very small fraction of books published are ever commercially successful, which Mm. means you really need a big backlist, a big pool of revenue to go and make a lot of really small bets. Mm. A few of those bets will pay off. So I look at HarperCollins' backlist and it's a collection of classic authors. You've got J.R.R. Tolkien, you've got Agatha Christie, C.S. Lewis. Those are authors that are going to be generating revenue, not just in 10 years, but in, in 20 and 30 years. And it's this really you know, hard to replicate pool of, of revenue that can be reinvested back into the, the core. Yeah, right. You've got equity, mates. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. So they're the, uh, I guess, three big businesses and how you think about it. But when most people think about News Corp, they think about the Australian newspapers that, you know, they walk past most days. Um, yep. How do you think about them? Or do you think about them at all? Well, at the end of the day, they're not really material enough to make a, a big dent in your valuation. So it's not an area I spend too much time looking at. And, you know, if I think about, so the Australian is in the news media segment for uh, News Corp and that, you know, the valuations there might get to, you know, three to, to 500 million, but it's just one paper in that segment. They've also got the New York Post, they've got the Sun, the Sunday Times in the UK. So it's a tiny segment and it's an even smaller part of a tiny mm. segment. So I don't spend too much time thinking about the economics of something like the Australian. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's not big enough. All right, well, let's move to the bull case. When um, you're thinking about competitive advantages and, and building a, an investment thesis for the bull side, what does that look like for News Corp? Yeah, I think the um, sort of the key bull case for News Corp is that, um, you know, you, you've had this immense transformation in the business over the last um, you know, 10 years uh, that's vastly improved the quality of the business, particularly in Dow Jones more than the other segments. And, you know, I think that improvement in quality has been, you know, largely overlooked by the market, a bit misunderstood. And it's also, it hasn't been really reflected in the share price. You know, if you look at News Corp, it's really a collection of some very high quality businesses, but they're trading at bargain prices. So at the end of the day, the bull, the bull thesis really comes back to 
to how attractive the valuation is. And just to put some numbers around that. So, you know, if you go and apply a New York Times multiple to Dow Jones, we think that's defensible for a couple of reasons. For one, uh, Dow Jones is actually a, it's, it's a higher profit margin business and it's got a better track record. There's a little bit of difference in, in Dow Jones. They also own a professional information business. Anyway, we'll sort of leave that to one side rather than get too into the, the nitty gritty. But if you apply that multiple, the New York Times multiple to Dow Jones, and then you take the market value of News Corp stake in REA, you basically get to the current share price. So that means you're getting theoretically the rest of the assets for free. And those assets hold immense value. You're getting HarperCollins, which we've discussed, you know, it's the world's second largest consumer book publisher. It's a really attractive business, really capital light. Uh, it generated around 350 million of, of EBITDA last year. You're getting an 80% stake in Realtor.com, um, which is basically the domain of the US market. It generated $700 million in revenue last year. CoStar were recently in talks to buy that business for $3.5 billion. Really? Um, so, you know, they're, they're just a couple of the, the other assets in there, getting the other uh, news media businesses. There's plenty of more value on offer and you're really not paying anything for it. Mm. Another way to potentially think about it, some listeners might say, well, look, I don't want to buy... REA at that share price. I think it's too high. It's too expensive. And I think the, the way to think about that is, well, if we apply what we think a fair value for all the assets that News Corp own, excluding REA, you can reverse engineer the share price you're effectively getting REA at. And that, uh, based on our assumptions, works out to be around 60 bucks versus the current share price of you know 130 or 140. So we think News Corp's you know, it's a fantastic opportunity to, to buy one of Australia's best businesses at, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. So that's the bull case. Uh, the bear case uh, I'm interested in. And for me, when I think about News Corp, you know, it's a collection of great businesses and let, let's exclude REA. Uh, outside of REA, they all seem to be facing their own headwinds. Like the news media, we know the, the headwinds they're facing. Book publishing, are they their margins are getting squeezed by Amazon. Are the physical books being disrupted? Foxtel is being disrupted by streaming. They're kind of disrupting themselves, but what's the margin story there? It feels like for every individual segment, you could sort of talk about the headwinds there. So tying it all together, outside of REA, what, what are you most concerned about investing in this company? Well, so to address some of those points, if you look at um, book publishing, for example, it's interesting, everyone's obviously got concerns over Amazon's purchasing power and the potential shift to, to digital uh, books and what that means for the industry. And again, sort of, you know, concentrated purchase power from their, their key customers. Obviously, News Corps was a separately formed entity when it, it split off from Fox, but you can go back and look at News Corps history before that. And they've owned HarperCollins for something like, you know, more than 20 years and uh, its EBIT margins have been basically flat over that whole time. So it's actually, they've made some acquisitions which have, have helped. So maybe the underlying margin has declined a little bit, but margins have been pretty steady. Um, uh, so that's sort of how I, how I think about that. In terms of the other headwinds, something like Foxtel, you know, Foxtel's, it's a business that is facing a lot of headwinds. I definitely agree with that. I think they've done a, a great job operationally. You know, they own KO and Binge, two streaming brands that have, have really taken off in Australia. Um, but they're certainly at a, a 
you know, it's it's not the best competitive position to be in. Just on that, you mentioned that the Wall Street Journal, people won't give up their subscription. You mentioned the AFR, you wouldn't give up your subscription. Bryce and I often talk about how KO is going to be the last subscription for us to go. Like, it feels like that's a pretty rusted on one. They got a, Well, they've got a lot of pricing power and they're flexing that muscle at the moment as well. Yeah, they are. Um, the hard thing with it though is, you know, part of them flexing that muscle is, you know, on the other side of that, them having to pay more for sports rights. Yeah, so, true. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure who's benefiting more from that arrangement. Is it the sports themselves or is it KO? You know, it's probably a mixture of the two. Mm. The thing with Foxtel in terms of thinking about News Corp is there's a lot of debt sitting in that entity. So when most people think about the valuation, they say, well, you know, maybe the enterprise value um, is is $2 billion or something like that, but it's got you know more than a billion of debt in there. So it doesn't end up, and it's non-recourse debt, so it doesn't end up actually moving evaluation that much just because there's, that's where most of the debt in News Corp sits. It's in that segment. Mm. I think it's a business that's interesting because it has sort of turned the corner in terms of um, you know streaming as a, as a percentage of revenue, but it's a business with a lot of debt, so it, it again doesn't move the needle that much. Mm. Mm. Okay. And then uh, the, I guess the final uh, element that I, that I raised earlier was just the, the news, the headwinds in news media and, you know, Wall Street Journal and New York Times seem to hang on to their subscribers, but is anyone else like what the future of news and... Yeah, yeah. well, um, I, off the top of my head, I'm going to completely butcher the, the stats, so I'm not going to say them, but the amount of paper, newspaper closures in the US is just, it's incredible. Um, And when you think about the industry, there's probably only going to be a a few newspapers with the requisite scale to survive, um, you know, this decline in in advertising revenue. So, you know, when I think about the journal, it's it's clearly one of those businesses. Again, it only generates around 13% of its its, uh, revenue from print advertising. So, it's, it's mostly through the transition. But on the other side of that, um, in some ways, it's a good thing for the journal because, you know, so many papers have closed down and can't afford to scale in the same way that you've actually got a reduction in competition there. So, Will, let's talk talk about the long-term plans then. If if, um, if news is to be successful in, in its, uh, I, I guess, ambitions over the next 10 years, what do you think the company looks like in sort of a decade? Hmm. Well, I think the, um, the company looks very much the same as it does today, but hopefully with much higher higher earnings. I mean, mm. the, the thesis, our investment thesis for, for purchasing News Corp isn't predicated on any change in the business. It's purely predicated on the continuing um, sort of fundamental performance of the business continuing to the future. And, and that's supported by, um, you know, three key segments with very durable competitive advantages. You know, publishing, book publishing has been, you know, earnings that business have been very, very stable, um, growing slightly over the last 20 years. And, and if you think about the, the durability of that competitive advantage, they should be the same in, in 10 years. The journal, again, it's been around for 133 years. Um, I don't suspect that my uh, reliance on fina- financial information as part of my job is, is going to change in 10 years. I think I'll still be a subscriber to the AFR and I suspect most of the journal subscriber base will be the same. Prices will go up, likely to account for some of the lost advertising, but Again, given how important that information is to running your business, you really don't have a choice but to stay a subscriber. Mm. Um, and then I think about REA. Uh, I think most people think most people are pretty familiar with the, the quality of that business and just how enduring that competitive advantage is. So, you know, for the business to succeed in ten years, it's just got to keep doing what it's doing. Mm. So when we talk about uh, long-term plans at News Corp and especially uh, the ambitions at News Corp. We have to talk about the proposed merger. Rupert's trying to get his empire back together. Uh, does that 
would a News Corp and Fox Corp merger change your thesis? Would it make you more bullish? Would it make you more wary? Um, how do you think about that possibility? Yeah, we didn't see much of a commercial rationale for the merger. I know they talked, you know, sort of publicly about how scale matters and scale does matter, but it matters at the individual business level, not at the conglomerate level in in our opinion. But um you know, the special committee that was meant to be uh, presiding over the, the potential merger, you know, that um, we never actually got anything out of that. So we don't know what the, the terms of the merger would have looked like, but had it just been a, you know, a straight up merger, we wouldn't have been supportive of that. And I think most investors, you know, who spoke publicly about it, and there were a lot of investors who did a material portion of the News Corp share base sort of came out against the merger. You know, we think we've got, you know, some fantastic high quality businesses that are really undervalued with News Corp. We don't want to dilute our ownership of those businesses uh, by merging with Fox. We're not as confident about the Fox business model and its valuation, so we want to just hold on to what we've got. You know, had the merger you know, included some sort of premium or something like that, of course, that, that changed the dynamic, but just as a straight up merger, you know, we didn't see much of a commercial rationale and, and we really like our assets in News Corp. Well, speaking of rationale, the uh, purported rationale, alleged rationale was all about the succession planning and making sure that Lachlan uh, could take over the full business. Ha- Rupert's 92. We've got to deal with the reality of, you know, he may not be around for much longer or may not be in charge for much longer. Would uh, any succession drama, any succession uh, change, would anything there change your thesis or is it the quality of the assets will shine through? Yeah, I think when most people think about, you know, potential succession, obviously the merger is, is one thing and we can we can put that to a, a separate side. I, I won't speculate on, on their individual motives. No, but, no you I'll know. speculate. You don't have to speculate. <laughs> um, but any sort of change in control of the trust structure, you know, whether that's Rupert passing on or whether it's um, something else that happens that, that results in a change of control, I think most investors would look at that as potentially a positive. And that's for the simple reason that a lot of people would acknowledge there is some really good value in News Corp and they're looking for a catalyst to unlock that value. Um, so if that is the catalyst that unlocks that value, I think it actually be you know positively received by, by shareholders. Mm. Nice. Well, Will, thank you so much. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure unpacking uh, News Corp with you. We've uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I know a lot of our audience would have taken uh, a lot of value from that as well. So we do really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. No, thanks for having me, guys. That was great. Thanks, Will. Nice, friend. Well, we will leave it there. As uh, as we said at the top, thank you to Airly for supporting this episode. Airly has an active investment style that aims to deliver attractive long-term capital growth and regular income to its investors. It was started back in 2012 by John Sevio. So make sure you go and check out that episode. But uh, yes, they've just launched the Early Small Companies Fund, which is managed by Will Granger. The fund typically comprises 20 to 40 investments that Early consider to be high quality businesses. So check out the link in show notes for more information. And thank you to Early for supporting this episode. But Ren, we'll leave it there. We will be picking it up on Monday with a review of our bold predictions and stock of the year, given that we're halfway through the year and we chat with Andrew Brown to get his thoughts on where markets go from here. So make sure you tune in on our Monday episode. But uh, Ren, always good to chat stocks. Pick it up next week. Sounds good. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodian of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. 
This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.